Welcome to Shatter by Rockwell Automation Women in the Field. We're your hosts, Olivia Robertson and Corinne Pellish. Whenever you are ready. Olivia, how are you? Oh, I am great, Corinne. Returning back from a great Thanksgiving holiday away. Oh, how was your yes. Thanksgiving? It was so good. Went snowshoeing, kept it to just the immediate family, um, and enjoyed some sunshine too. So it was all good. How about you? Fun snowshoeing. Do you now? Do you have your own snowshoes, or do you do you rent them? Like, how does one get snowshoes? That's not exactly normal I, around my parts. <laughs> You, you don't carry your snowshoes with you. Well, I do have my own snowshoes because I like to go whenever the time comes. (laughs) Well, good to know. (laughs) So So if you come visit me, when you come visit me, you can borrow a pair of snowshoes. Ah, Perfect. Love that. We'll do a podcast series out on the mountain. I would love that. We can go hiking up there, except we'd have to get like some special equipment or something just so like the wind doesn't completely (laughs) blow out our mics. (laughs) That is so true. But hey, today we have an exciting guest and we're all, we're going to be talking all about imposter syndrome, which is a term I think not many people know, but a lot of people experience. Yeah. Especially of the younger set, I would agree. Yes. Yes. I would agree with that. So today um, our guest is Kira Rust. She was born and raised in Alaska and enjoys cooking while eating mostly. She also enjoys her family and friends and her cat, Chicken. She knows next to nothing about sports. Though a lifelong runner, she has never paid attention to other sports. Sometimes her birthday lands on the Super Bowl and it's confusing for everyone involved. Kira just learned maybe about a year ago what the NFC and the AFC were. So for those of you that don't know, feel free to use Google there. It's about football. (laughs) Um, Kira is someone you can count on to be herself. She is inherently creative, ridiculously funny, and deeply cares about others. She embraces all of life's challenges and curveballs. Vulnerability may as well be Kira's middle name, as she's Brene Brown's number one fan. Kira is an associate account manager in Denver, Colorado. She graduated from Washington State University in December 2019 with a degree in mechanical engineering and a minor in business administration. As a first-generation college graduate, Kira embodies determination, resilience, and grit. Kira, welcome to Shatter. Hi, thank you. We are so excited to have you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Also, it is Kira, right? <laughs> yes, it is. You have to squish together the I and the E. <laughs> I just like to make sure because I know, I mean, my name gets mispronounced a lot. And so I know that yours does as well. So it's always good just to make sure we're on the same page. <laughs> yep, Kira. Yes. So, okay. First, you have a cat named Chicken. <laughs> yeah. Please explain that to me. Yeah, here's what happened. I uh, wanted a cat for a long time, big cat person. <laughs> and I found him at, I, I went to school in a college town and he was discounted. <laughs> he was a discounted cat. And when you buy cats normally from a shelter, all you're paying for is like, you know, the shops and stuff. So he was even discounted from that. And I took him home and he's just awkward and he like chirps all the time. And he has these big, tall back legs and I named him something differently initially. And then 
I kept calling him chicken until his name was chicken. <laughs> so it's not like a personality trait kind of thing. He just, <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, I don't know. He's also frightened all the time. It just fit. It just, <laughs> it just came to me. <laughs> Oh, chicken. And, it and major, sh- major shout out to Brett, your boyfriend, for watching chicken right now, because chicken is known to um, be a bit of a nuisance and a bit of an attention seeker. And so big shout out to Brett. Yeah, thanks, Brett. He's keep- he has the treats on hand now, so it should be silent. <laughs> yeah, he is locked and loaded. Chicken <laughs> should be completely taken care of. So being a Brene Brown fan, can you speak to what captivates you about her? In, your, in her stance on vulnerability? Yeah, I learned about Brene Brown when I started going to school uh, at Washington State. And I, her values very much aligned with me. I think it's difficult to be candid and kind, which I think is something she talks about a lot. And it's, it's vulnerable to it's vulnerable to put yourself in a position where that's what you have to do. It's much easier to just let things kind of flow by. And that's something that was really important to me in college and learning about vulnerability as it's become a bigger part of, you know, the national or maybe international conversation. Um, I appreciate vulnerability in other people and I didn't have a word for it. And then I learned about Brene Brown and I thought, wow, that's exactly what we need in all aspects of life. I think it's, it's not just in your personal life, it's in your professional life. And she's now started a dare to lead series that I'm a huge fan of. Um, And I think as it becomes a bigger conversation at work, she's just very wise. And I've taken um, a lot of comfort in her words on vulnerability and it's helped me move through the imposter syndrome and starting a new career and a a kind of a new life. No, I think that's great. And for those of you that don't know, I met Kira out in Oregon. Um, She was an intern out there and I was an associate account manager myself. And I just remember the first time meeting Kira and being like, who is this person who's like unapologetically herself at work? And I'm like stifling my goofy side or stifling, um, you know, a joke that I might have wanted to share in an office meeting. And so I think like you grasping onto Brene is, is really just like finding like a way to put your thumb on something you've already like lived a lot of your life through is being like unapologetically you being vulnerable. This is Kira. It's who you get. You know what I mean? So I think it was kind of like a natural marriage for you to just be like, Oh, Brene, like you're speaking my language. Help me be better at this. But I, I just have always admired that about you. Thank you. You said it 500 times better than I said it. I, you know what? What Corinne said. <laughs> That's Absolutely awesome. Fun. Thank you. <laughs> but to get to know you a bit more, um, let's talk a little bit more about your professional side. So right now you're an account manager. How did you get to this position? Did you always know you wanted to be in sales? Can you give us a bit more about your professional background? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I was a little late to the college game. And by the time I got to Washington State and learned about Rockwell Automation, actually at the first career fair that I went to there, uh, that was pretty much it. I had no idea going into engineering. I had no idea about a lot of things going into engineering, but I didn't know sales engineering uh, was an option or 
um, you know, what that career path looked like and not just the career path, but the people at Rockwell. Every time I went to a career fair, it was like, these are my people. It, it felt like that sounds very cliche, but the, the livelihood and, and the, the personalities that were chosen there were all very, um, I don't know, they, they aligned with me. Everybody, it felt like everybody was themselves and it was clear they had a company that had their back and that the people were very valued and uh, it showed right away. <clears throat> And then I, um, I actually applied for an internship twice before I got one because I wasn't ready. And um, uh, it was my first year at Washington State and I hadn't even really started taking engineering classes, but I applied anyway and, um, you know, stayed in touch and then finally got the internship in Portland where I met Corinne. And then the next summer um, came to Denver at the suggestion of my one of my mentors. Uh, I never would have thought of that. So that was, that was really a gift too, to have somebody that was looking out for my, my future a little bit more. And now I'm in the Denver office and I started during the fantastic year of 2020. So I did quarantine training and just finished that in uh, late September. And I've been in the associate account manager role for, I guess, two and a half months now. So yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And big shout out to Christina Oakland uh, out in Spokane. She was, I think, the first person who met you at the career fair. And I just remember Christina coming back being like, we need to check on Kira. Like, I think Kira's <laughs> going to be ready this next summer for an internship. Like, what's Kira doing this summer? So it was just like, a, just such a great to your testament about work family. And this is just like a place you want to be. I mean, we felt that same way about meeting you. And I think that's the beautiful part about Rockwell family is it's like, we kind of want you. So what are we going to do to like get you where we need you? Yes. And it showed it was, yeah, it was a bunch of people. It was, um, it was Zinner. It was Andy Bellamini. It was Matt Shea. Corinne interviewed me at one point. <laughs> I went through a lot of interviews. So yeah, glad to know. It was you knew the whole, <laughs> I knew the whole crew. <laughs> no, that's awesome. We are so happy to have you. And I feel very lucky to have you in Denver with me as well. Yeah, me too. Thank you. This podcast episode brought to you by Rockwell Automation's Stratix 5800 High Performance Managed Switches. The Stratix 5800 Managed Ethernet Switch offers gigabit performance in a flexible package. It comes in both fixed and modular designs, supporting a wide variety of copper, fiber, and PoE expansion modules, and is available with Layer 2 switching or Layer 3 routing firmware options to meet a diverse range of application needs. The Stratix 5800 will be available for sale March 2021. Leverage the Switch platforms co-developed by Rockwell Automation and Cisco to provide optimized integration into your operations. Today's discussion is all around imposter syndrome. And so for, for listeners who may or may not know what imposter syndrome is, we wanted to shed some light on it. So in a nutshell, imposter syndrome is the belief that you can, you do not belong, that your friends or colleagues will discover that you're a fraud and that you do not deserve what you've accomplished. So in a single phrase, it's a form of intellectual self-doubt. Upon doing research for this episode, I was honestly expecting to find that it disproportionately affected women and minorities, but in reality, imposter syndrome really affects everyone, which was a humbling fact to learn. And most people suffer in silence. So Kira, do you remember what stage of life you were in when you really discovered what imposter syndrome was? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was only a couple of years ago, actually. And honestly, it was as I started moving through the engineering degree. Um, not just that I had the words to put to it, but that's when I started having those feelings, which I, I thought was interesting. But before starting at Washington State University, I um, didn't really have a, a roadmap and I had a terrible start to college. I, in my first semester, I just tanked. Um, and, you know, I was, I was kind of alone in that. Like you mentioned, I, my family didn't go to college. And so I didn't really know how to navigate through that. And as I was navigating through that, it was almost like the more that I learned, the more that I understood I had to learn in order to get to the phase that I wanted to get to. And that's, you know, that was, that was tough for me. And that's something I'm still learning about right now. It's um, when you look up imposter syndrome, a lot of the time you see the Dunning-Kruger effect uh, with that, which is for those of you that don't know, basically that people with a moderate expertise often have less confidence in their abilities because they, like I just said, they, they know enough to know that there's a lot that they don't know. And, mm -hmm. and meanwhile, experts often assume that everybody else around them is really knowledgeable too, which creates this inaccurate self-perception bubble that a lot of people are going through. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason that it is so widespread. But yeah. I, I think there's a lot no, of power in numbers and, and, um, and learning and working through it. Right. No, I completely agree with that. And I would say like, that's kind of when I first started to see like imposter syndrome in my own life as well as that academic career, just being like, oh my gosh, I think every single person in this fluid dynamics class knows exactly what's going on. And I don't have a clue. Like, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And just like sitting there being like, am I the only one who failed that exam or, you know, got a C on that ex like quiz. And um, you kind of tend to just beat yourself up because that kind of early on in the description, you, you suffer in silence. So you think that, oh man, Corinne is the only one who doesn't get it. Um, and there's no way I'm going to be a successful engineer because I'm struggling right now. Or I, like you were saying, Kira, you, you understand that there's so much more out there and that you're never going to be the expert in, in fluid dynamics. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I would say engineering is that humbling experience. Olivia, I don't know if you had similar. Experience. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's also where, yeah, when you look around, I think in general, not saying that men and women are different in terms of like their expressions, but at the same time though, like when I looked around in my engineering classes, um, I definitely remember being like, just like you said, Corinne, like, oh, I just, failed that test. Did anyone else fail it? Like I remember having similar things where I'd be looking around and all the other men would be so stoic. And then there'd be me and like maybe one of my really close friends that were like looking at our things like dying because we were like, they can't all have gotten a good grade. There's no way. Right. <laughs> right? You're like, no there's way. no way. Like the bell curve is here for a reason, <laughs> right? As we got farther along um, in our studies, like I remember being able to get a little bit closer with some of my other classmates and then learning from them that, oh yeah, they also felt the same way. It's just maybe you weren't able to tell right away, but it still right. didn't help your confidence at that point, obviously. No, so true. I think sometimes it's, it's exacerbated too. If there's a culture around engineering, that's like, this is the hardest degree on campus. It sounds kind of silly to say now, but 
that really makes the issue worse because then you have all of these people around you that are talking like, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. And you're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. So (laughs) I'm not quite feeling like this is a good fit. Right. You're like, I didn't pick the hardest major on campus. Like I didn't know that jumping into this. (laughs) I (laughs) signed up. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And now I'm in my second year or third year and I I think I'm fully committed to this. So right. (laughs) It's a, yeah, I think that is a very healthy spot for, um, for folks to start to see this kind of come into their life. Yeah. Well, and on the other side of the coin. So another definition of imposter syndrome is that it's the idea that you've only been successful due to luck and not because of your talents or qualifications. So it has the idea of, okay, I I must not be able to fail or I feel like a fraud or maybe it's all down to luck and that's why I've gotten as far as I can. So you may have been experiencing imposter syndrome when you're having these thoughts. So throughout your academic and professional career, have you ever heard of these, these, this idea or you, have you had any of these thoughts in your head? Oh yeah. Um, every day, (laughs) probably it's, um, for me, it feels less like it feels less like um, a fear of failure and a, and a fear of fraud. So much as so much as it's like soon they're going to find out that I'm not as good as they think I am. It's and, and it's interesting because it's a really kind of amorphous issue because it's not necessarily confidence. I wouldn't say that I have a lack of I have confidence. I don't think many people that know me would describe me that way, but it's hard to put in a category and then it's so then it's hard to identify and then it's hard to face it. If that makes sense. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I just think back to like being in the sales training program and having to give presentations week after week after week. And I'm not someone who likes being in front of an audience. Um, I just would rather do like all of the things behind the scenes or like, prep the meeting and then like just kick it off and help, you know, I'm just, I'm much more of a behind the scenes player. And I remember watching all of my coworkers get up there and just like give presentation after the next and they were just phenomenal. And I just remember thinking, wow, Nisha's going to realize she hired the wrong person. Like I must've just wowed one person (laughs) in a one-on-one interview. Right. And then, um, so Kira, to your point, it's like, well, it's not confidence because I know I can do it, but Am I as smooth as my as this? Do they, did they just see me do like a really good meeting or did they just happen to see that? Like, yeah, I, I led this group project in a certain way, or, um, you know, I was angry one day and I like crazy excelled in this, getting the solution out to the customer. Um, so yeah, it is that it's weird, deep rooted, but you're right. It's not a confidence. Right. It's almost like gaslighting yourself every day. (laughs) It's really how I think about (laughs) like, no matter what, no matter what award or accolade or compliment or good feedback, whatever it, that is, is filed away. And then everything you've done wrong that day or week or year or whatever rises to the surface. So it's a matter of knowing when that's happening and, um, being kind to yourself, I yes. think is the, is the key. And I'm very bad at that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, and first recognizing that you're doing that gaslighting to yourself. Right. Well, and I like what you said. Yeah. Recognizing it. So like acknowledging where you're at and then 
yeah, like you said, Kira, being kind, because I, I mean, we talk about this a lot on the podcast. I, I will be Olivia's biggest fan. But then when it comes to me taking, like Olivia was off some of this week and I'm like, please unplug, do not respond to me. Like, don't do anything. But then I will be on vacation and I'll be sitting there like on teams responding to people. Um, and so just think about yourself as well. Like it's okay to not have it all together and be, be kind with yourself there. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, one thing I've started doing this year as I'm starting my career is, is keeping a list of accomplishments, big or small. If it's like a small, really good piece of feedback, I write that down. Um, and that way, when I recognize that I'm going down this rabbit hole of like, oh my God, soon they're going to find, I'm going to get fired because I'm a fraud or whatever the, the thought is. Um, I can look at that and, and that helps me be kind to myself because otherwise it's really hard in that moment to pull yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. No, that's super great. Cause you do, you forget it. You're, you're on to the next thing and you get so wrapped up, whether it's a project or a presentation or, you know, a season of your career and you're like, well, this is it. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> right, right. I made it this far. I guess it was a good run, everyone. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So imposter syndrome can feel insurmountable at times. Like you're saying that rabbit hole. So, and when you really think about it, it's like, how do I just overcome this complete feeling of fraud and of feeling like a fraud and that all your success is due to luck? Like, that's not something that you're just like, all right, I'm better. I've got it all figured out. Um, so Kira, do you have any advice to our listeners on confronting these feelings and facing imposter syndrome head on? Yeah, I think the first step is um, getting to know yourself. I know that sounds a little... Um, I don't know, fluffy, but if you don't know yourself well enough to recognize when you're going down that path, then it's really hard to kind of intervene your own thoughts, if that makes sense. And um, some other things I think about often is trying trying to let life shape you and focus on growth rather than a set point. Because if I'm thinking about the bigger picture and remembering the things that I've done to get me to where I am today, then I feel more accomplished rather than just focusing on one section of life. Um, The other thing is um, the, I bet I can figure it out attitude is something that every day I have to remember to try to adopt that in my life. So if I don't know, or if I feel like I'm in way over my head, just reminding myself that first of all, not to freeze and panic, which, uh, which happens to me a lot, Um, And not a lot of people see that because on the other side of that, and I think kind of the goodness of feeling the imposter syndrome and working through it is, is energizing yourself to move forward and to, to make a, uh, you know, make a move, do something, learn something um, and figure it out. No, I love that. And I think it's, those are all such powerful points. Um, one thing that comes to mind, you talk about like that set point idea is like focusing on growth and not just the set point. Um, I think a lot of that can be wrapped into like wanting to be perfect or wanting to um, deliver something to like your ideal expectation. And I think people who suffer from imposter syndrome are extra hard on themselves when you, you're like, no, but I I'd planned for all of this, right? And then when I presented, I only presented like 80% of what I was supposed to say. And so that to me was a failure. But in reality, it's it's okay. There's another opportunity. There will be another opportunity to 
get that information out or um, present better the next time or whatever it might be. That growth thing is so important because um, if you look back on like where you were when you started your academic career, thank goodness you're where you are now, right? Because right. you're like, right. <laughs> like little Corinne wouldn't have made it in the world today had she not gone through all of those failures and confusion points within her academic career and professional career to be where she's at today. Yeah. Um, and so I think it is important to look back and see those little successes that you write down and, and be kind to yourself with, within the failures. Yeah. I think also avoiding uh, the comparisons with people too, but, mm-hmm. but in the same vein, when you, you know, when I get out of my head and, and you start to look around at, um, you know, the table that you're at in life, I guess, you start to realize that really nobody knows exactly what they're doing. Nobody has this like, Reach it. <laughs> nobody <laughs> has this roadmap and nobody's life works the way they want it to. And just because your situation is unique in your mind doesn't mean it's really unique in, mm-hmm. in the world. And I find that really humbling, actually. That helps me feel like, you know, I can't really mess this up that bad. And if my past is any indication of my future, I'm not just going to derail my life. So let's just keep it moving, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yep. And, and back on that same note, um, knowing your audience is so key, especially when you're really in your head about, um, like you said, a presentation that you had done or something in reality, you're that expert. So if you can kind of get to that point where you're like, okay, even if I flub up a little word here and there, no one's going to know because guess what? They don't know anyway. Right. So it's kind of just reassuring yourself of that too. Yeah, exactly. No, it's so true. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So there's a great quote by Emma Hugh uh, that I wanted to go over saying, we're more likely to experience imposter syndrome if we don't see many examples of people who look like us or share our backgrounds who are clearly succeeding in our field. Underrepresentation does play into imposter syndrome. We need to, we need diversity of backgrounds, race, experience, and et cetera, to add dimension to our field of work. Kira, do you think that your unique background has increased your experience with imposter syndrome? I do. I think when I started feeling the imposter syndrome, when I started college five years ago or whatever, it was this constant thought in my head that I, I was like the only one that didn't have support that I wanted. And, and as a result, then I would look around at the world around me and highlight those cases rather than recognizing there are a ton of people like me. And that's how I've tried to flip it moving forward. Then is trying not to focus on my past too much, but building a community of people that have similar, um, even if it's not similar life experience, they're, at a similar place in their own world and we can relate on that front, right? And, and that kind of translated into my career too. A lot of the time I'm like, oh my God, I'm not from a, an engineering family. I'm not even from a career family really. Um, and that makes me feel sometimes like I'm way out of my element. And then I, you know, have to pull myself out of that and think, how many people do this every day? There are so many people that come from all kinds of different backgrounds uh, that are figuring this out. And again, I find that really humbling and really energizing. That helps me um, move forward and, and feel like hopefully there's somebody in the world in a few years that I can try to 
pull up with that, that mentality and, and try to help work through their own imposter syndrome and finding their own place in the world. No, I think that's super powerful. And I think it's really, for, thank you for being vulnerable to admit that you, you do think your background has kind of um, opened up that door maybe a little wider uh, than, than it is for other people. And I do just want to acknowledge, like, particularly like women and minorities, and um, you're often told like, hey, maybe they just got the job because they're female, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they just, maybe, Kira, maybe you were just accepted into engineering school because you're female, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like that repetition, we'll get into this in one of the other questions, is just kind of beats you down. So of course you'll start to look at yourself and say, well, was it just because of luck? Was I the only female that applied and they had to give one right. job to a female? Um, it, and so I think it does heightenly increase uh, that experience for imposter syndrome. And I, and I think one of the ways you do kind of break that down is through not letting it silence you. And Kira, that's one of the things that I really commend you for is you've always kind of been like, what do you want to know about my background? Like, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm the <laughs> first one to go to college. Like, wh- what do you want to know? Like, yeah, like I might not have the, um, the perfect support system behind me, but I've built my my work support family, you know, right. you think about a lot of your, your mentors and people who have got your back, no matter what you've, you've built this other community. And I think that that is something that helps break down some of those barriers of imposter syndrome. Yeah. Thank you. I think I, I, I was raised in an environment maybe where, you know, the messaging implicit or explicit was you belong in this certain small box. And I very quickly realized uh, first of all, that I don't want a box. And second of all, that's not my box. <laughs> but if you're raised that way, you start to think that, um, you know, the world of opportunities out there, it feels really scary and it feels really daunting. And you have to have people that are on the other side that are telling you, <laughs> you're doing just fine. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and you're going to get there. It's really not that scary over here, you know? So I appreciate that. Right. But the unknown is the unknown. And I think that that's kind of that, um, those unique challenges that, you know, some, some folks who maybe have experienced different levels of privilege, maybe just haven't had to think about, um, you know, like in my family, it was never a question whether or not I was going to college. I was going to college, you know, right. it was more just yeah. a question of like, are you going to pick a, um, a strong enough of a degree so that college is worth it? That was more the conversation. Um, so it's, it is just those different um, structures that you, like you said, Kira, it's a box. My box was, I'm going to college. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. Like your, your box was like, well, most folks, like you stay close to home and family and it's natural for you to stay in Alaska and live, you know, down the street from your parents. Or I know a lot of people in like, um, from my dad's family who they all still live in the same places where they grew up. And that was just the way it was. Right. Um, so it is, it, it, I think those backgrounds really do kind of give that, um, that way for imposter syndrome. Yeah. I, I remember after that first terrible semester I had, uh, at school, I, I called my grandma, um, just looking for, you know, any kind of support. I was, I was just in a, in a terrible place, you know, and, and <laughs> what she said to me was essentially it's time to come home. You, you tried, you, it's not for you you should come home. I'll buy you a plane ticket. Just come home to Alaska. And that was a pivotal moment for me because that was the moment that I really recognized not just the imposter syndrome, but that 
um, that it's my decision and that, you know, I, I am the only one that, that can move forward with this. So either I say, yeah, you're right, <laughs> which she wasn't. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll be home tomorrow and I'll just give up on, on this dream. That was, that was really silly or, okay, well now I'm, now I'm going to have to not just build myself up, but build my, my community up and try to figure out how to navigate this. So. You know, you bring up an interesting point, the way you describe that with, um, you know, now you're stepping out on your own because you, you didn't want to go quote unquote back home. Right. Mm-hmm. It was, hey, here, it's time to go home. Um, of like that almost adds to, am I a fraud? Right. Was this luck? Right. Because it's that extra, like you are stepping out on a balance beam by yourself. Um, so of course you're like, then all of a sudden you're like, no, I'm not a fraud to this group of people. But then you're like out there on this diving board and you're like, I think I'm a fraud. (laughs) And and I'm like, I mean, I don't know the distance between Anchorage and Washington, but thousands of miles from the place I grew up. Right. I'm in, I'm in, I ended up going to this college town because I had a friend from high school that went there and that was my connection. It's not like I did the whole thing where I was like, Oh, what college am I going to go to? You know, it was like, okay, I have an opportunity to go to college right now. And if I don't do this right now, it might not ever happen. And so to, to go, to go back to Alaska would have been, you know, a a totally different life. So yeah, it did feel, you know, it did feel like an abandonment, like almost like I had to abandon who I was to be who I want to be. How do you not feel like a fraud in that environment? But a lot of people do for other reasons too, but that was just my experience. No, that's, that's extremely powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So in, in addition to um, these kind of the diverse background element of things, it's also important to note that stereotypes and microaggressions also play into imposter syndrome. So just kind of broad to the group, even just to the listeners, has anyone ever been told that the only reason you were hired was because you're just a pretty face? Because that one is a common one. Um, And it can't possibly be because that you're an engineer or a great leader. Um, So this absolutely feeds into the issue of imposter syndrome. We talked about this a little bit before, but Kira, do you have any lasting advice to our listeners when these comments are shared about us or about someone we may know and how best to uh, respond to them. Yeah. I, I don't know if I know how best to respond to them. Certainly I've been in that situation. One time I had someone tell me, um, <laughs> and I think it was after an exam, I went to the professor's office trying to understand how to move forward. Cause I probably didn't do that great. <laughs> and, and, um, somebody said to me, Oh, you just go talk to the professor and bat your eyelashes and you get a good grade. <laughs> Like, yeah, they want to talk wait, to you. this is a technical degree. I, like, I'm not sure why, first of all, you thought that was okay to say to me. And second of all, that that would be a solution for anybody. But right. it happens right. all the time. And mm-hmm. I think the way to respond is almost just to <laughs> smile and wave and move on. You know, I, I don't, in that moment, it's really hard to, not internalize that and if you can find a way to not internalize that that's what you've got to do no it's a great point i olivia and i talk about this a lot with um you know 
like early on in my career and as we've been doing this show, we've talked through like um, the comments you may receive when you go to get uh, a meeting with a customer or a client. And, you know, sometimes a, a, a distributor partner or a work partner, like however it is, they'll say something like, oh, well, you, it's super easy for you to get meetings, right? Because you're a young female. Oh, God. It's like, man, I would like to think that I can get a meeting because I have something good to say or I'm bringing great technology or, you know, I'm going to do something that's going to improve operations, um, oh, yeah. you know, in coordination with your customer. And so absolutely, to your point, Kira, how do you not internalize that? <laughs> um, a story from my own life, I remember in sales training program, we had um, Second City come up and they were doing kind of coaching for us. And we had to get up and be the expert of everything. And um, so you get up and so you're really uncomfortable. So they see you in your natural habitat when you're presenting. And, and then they go through and give you feedback in front of the whole room, which is like my worst nightmare at all being the center of attention about something I did wrong. And they told me that I speak with T-Rex arms. Oh. <laughs> and so oh, no. because, and it's because I'm a, I'm a tall woman. Right. And so I think I've always wanted to make myself a little smaller. And so I wouldn't like ever fully extend my arms when I was just giving little presentations. So they were like, your elbows are attached to your hips. You talk like a T-Rex. And so for like all of my presentations, the rest of my, I mean, up until now, I'm like, extend your arm as far as you can. <laughs> Do not be <laughs> a T-Rex. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh, Corinne. So now you're just going to be an Italian, but like you <laughs> your arms everywhere and they're flailing them in oh passion, right? Yes. On a scale of T-Rex to Italian, where do you fall in your presentation? <laughs> I think I think you made a really good point though, Corinne, because the thing that people maybe on a broader scale don't understand is the small things are everything. Mm-hmm. It's never really the big things that are, I mean, sometimes, but for the sake of this conversation and, and imposter syndrome, it is the small things and the way you interact with other people that either you know, can make or break that moment or that day or that week or whatever with them. So I think as we try to change this culture and, and inclusion and diversity are a bigger part of, of the conversation, I think people need to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. And I think that brings up, you know, back Kira to your introduction, you are not a sports fan, right? And you think about how many of our comments or analogies are sports-based, right? Oh yeah. Like, oh, Talk about and, like a fraud, right? You're like, what is the AFC? <laughs> it's not just sports too. I think the thing that a, a lot of people that, so it feels like an inside joke with myself. It's, there's a whole corporate subset. There's a whole corporate language that is a subset of how people normally talk. And it's, it's been especially funny this year with uh, the virtual conversations because conversation is just a little more um, jagged as people are, are trying to figure it out, you know, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> not everybody recognizes that those little lines aren't going to come naturally to everybody. And mm-hmm. um, the way I, now I just say sports things just to guess, <laughs> like <laughs> keep your stick on the ice, everyone. <laughs> <good>. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's more than just that. It's, it's, that's why it's important to have people from all kinds of different backgrounds because it, the way that you talk, those little nuances make a difference in, in helping somebody else feel like they can fit in. If we can all just be authentic and, and rely less on the corporate language or the sports language or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I think it, yeah. it, it 
you know what? I'm going to say something a little crazy too. Um, <laughs> I like, well, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is so true, Kira. That's this, this, the way things have been done for however long. Right. And so as we kind of break that down and maybe it's like, I, I always think about, um, you know, a lot of times in sales, you'll take a customer golfing, right? Hey, maybe I don't like to golf. Maybe I've got a female engineer and I want us to go get our nails done. Um, and I'm going to pay for me and my client to go get our nails done. And that's still a meeting. You know what I mean? And that's still a business meeting. And, and that is something that should be equally as accepted, but that is like groundbreaking, right? Because that's not the way it's been done. And so I think a lot of this feeling like a fraud is I'm introducing something new that maybe fits my world a little bit better, but is brand new to the world that is existing within corporate culture. And so I almost think like the most powerful thing we can do with imposter syndrome is like continuously shatter those barriers because talk about creating a world where, like you said, Kira, we can all be our best selves. You can show up and be authentic. And that comes with the good, the bad, and the ugly of what it means in your own life. Absolutely. And it means that it also, if you, if you want to, you know, if you've been around for a long time and you've had a 35 year career of using the corporate language in the sports terms, fine. But as long as everybody's a little more open right. and trying to just be their most authentic self, we're moving in the right direction and everybody benefits. Perfect. No, I completely agree. Um, there's no, there's nothing wrong, right. With that corporate lingo, but let's be open to this new world that's emerging that do make people feel more inclusive and are included. And um, yeah, let's bring some new chicken analogies into the picture. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> They're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> they will be soon though. <laughs> yeah. <Too> groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah. Well, finally, just to wrap things up a little bit. So imposter syndrome is not going to magically go away. You know this, I know this, we all know this. It's something that we're all kind of still feeling and we do feel it in different magnitudes from a day-to-day basis. So it's critical that we don't let it dominate our lives, but how do we embrace those uncomfortable conversations in order to free ourselves from not feeling worthy? Um, Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners to hold to their how to hold on to their worth and experience and learn and lean on their um, successes? Yeah, I think worth is implicit. And I tell myself that often and I never remember. <laughs> I, I think working from there is really important. And it does take a level of I'm going to say it again. It takes a level of vulnerability. I think there's a reason it's such a big conversation right now. I think um, more people could benefit from, from focusing on that. And I certainly have, and I, and I will um, continue to do so because being vulnerable isn't just about a lot of people mistake that with oversharing being vulnerable is about understanding where the boundaries are and understanding yourself well enough to fit into that mm-hmm. and, and be yourself and be unapologetic. And um, yeah, I guess that, that would be my final thought. No, I love that. And I think the only thing I would add to that Kira is not being afraid to reach out, you know, like when you're in your vulnerable state or trying to break through when you're in the rabbit hole, reach out to people who really care about you and say, Hey, uh, I, 
am not feeling like I'm worthy enough for this task, or I'm really struggling here, or why am I in this job? <laughs> you know, like all of those questions that go through our minds frequently. And some weeks are better than others, some months are better than others. But um, I think the world, personally and professionally, is a cyclical thing, right? So there's definitely highs and lows, um, just as we go throughout all of our journeys. And so we're in it together. So be kind to yourself, be kind to others and reach out when you need help because only way to get through the life is together because it's no fun alone. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Yeah. And I, and I do think it takes a certain level of vulnerability to say, I'm not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not doing well this week or, you know, help me figure this out. Give me some, some good feedback to help me move forward. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And it is hard, but it is also the best thing in the world when you're like, Hey, I'm really struggling. And someone's like, me too. <laughs> and you're like, right. Oh gosh. Thank goodness. <laughs> I think everyone just needs to read Corinne and my team's Skype back and forth. <laughs> and then they'll feel real great about themselves. <laughs> oh my God. That's so true. Olivia and I are always like, um, struggling. Um, I'm going to be 15 minutes late to this meeting because I'm stuck on another thing. And I, and I also need to do these eight other things and <laughs> just send help, send help, <laughs> send help. Um, but yeah, just find your support group. Um, and I think too, a powerful thing is here. Number one, thank you for sharing just your story and your journey with imposter syndrome. It is so powerful to see people we admire and respect say that, Hey, I've struggled with something. Uh, we just had a RAYFI Cultures Connected joint event a couple weeks ago where imposter syndrome, microaggressions, and intersectionality were discussed. And some of the leaders that spoke there, I, I just get blown away because, you know, I'm like, there's no way that this individual would struggle with something like that. And it's it's just a incredibly great common ground to say, you've been there too. Okay, let's keep moving forward. Exactly. Amen. But with that, Kira, thank you so much for joining us today. We loved having you. We loved getting to um, get a little window into your life and getting to meet Chicken. Yes. Um, (laughs) Thank you. I'm I'm glad Chicken was quiet enough to not interrupt the podcast. Woohoo. Go Brett. Cheers. (laughs) So, yes, thank you. Um, We can't wait till the next episode for all of our listeners. So, thanks, guys.